Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Audrey Marshall, the co-founder and COO of Thematic, a collaborative platform where creators can license royalty-free music from their favorite music artists in exchange for promotion. No more copyright claims on YouTube. No more, hey, this this video's blocked in your country. You can't watch it. Hey, you wanted to enjoy your friend's weekly news show they post on YouTube, but they're using music that they don't have license for? Ugh, not going to be able to do that. So we're talking about why it's important to get music cleared, how creators and musicians can work together to create a perfect harmony. That's a little music term there. You like it. You like it. We're also talking about some top artists to check out. Audrey is very much into YouTube, into hearing new artists, all of that good stuff. She's talking about some of the ins and outs you should be considering if you're a content creator, if you're a music artist, if you're anything in between, as well as what the future of content creation is going to look like, because there's some interesting stuff already starting to happen and way more cool things going on down the line. We're talking about it all, and it's fantastic. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. Even better, sign up for the newsletter. Just go to goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Sign up for the newsletter. There's a little pop-up box pops up. You can just go on the page, on any episode page, sign up for the newsletter. Super simple, and then you get things delivered to your inbox. Tips, resources, tools, shenanigans, all of those right into your inbox at a less than alarming pace, just a couple times a month. I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I'm not trying to bombard you. I'm just trying to give you the good stuff, like this conversation with Audrey. For people who might not be familiar with you in Thematic, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Audrey Marshall. I'm the co-founder and COO of a platform called Thematic. Thematic is a collaborative platform where video creators can license songs from independent music artists in exchange for promotion. And that way the music artists are able to get their latest songs promoted by influencers driving new music discovery opportunities. Um, I would say the elevator we're in, I don't know what it looks like, but it's definitely a creative elevator where maybe there's different floors of creatives like video creators, editors, artists, musicians. And they're all meeting in this elevator and having great connections and conversations. So that's where I think my elevator would be. I like it. I like it. I've, I feel like I've gotten a lot of glass elevators lately. So I like this like nice networking, like we've got a, a nice group of people on this elevator. And uh, we were talking beforehand how I always like to ask a question that you wish you were asked more frequently. And typically we bury this way in the episode after we've been talking. But I think, you know, there's so many ways to share music. Uh, you know, people are posting on Instagram. I feel like every time I log into anything, someone has shared a TikTok with me, even though I don't have TikTok, but it's got a song. It's, you know, it's featuring an artist. Streamers, I, any show really, like on, on Netflix, like there's so many ways you can get it. I could list a lot of them, but that would be a terrible episode. So why should people care about clearing music for their content? Sure. I think there's a few ways to approach this. It's a matter of a, you always want to respect someone's copyright, where you want to make sure you're doing things the right way. Someone put a lot of time and energy into making their work, and you know, you want to go through the right channels to make sure that's respected. But as a creator, clearing music, it could really hurt you 
if you don't do it, right? So it can hurt you in terms of time lost or monetization opportunities. So if you look at it from the sense of like, hey, I, I'm just creating a video for my friends. I'm going to use this trending song. I love it. I'm going to put it on YouTube or Instagram. Don't intend to monetize it. But you are still at the mercy of what the, the song owner or the record label wants to do with it. So if their policy at the time is monetize, that's your best hope policy. Like, hey, they're going to let your video be fine on the internet, but they're going to put ads on it, which is great, fine and dandy. But that's not always the case. They could essentially be like, hey, we don't like your video, we're going to block it. Or we're not going to make it available in certain territories. Or, you know what, we're removing this song from the internet, let's take down your video. So like this amazing video you've created is essentially just gone and the work you put into it is taken away from you. So it's just like a bad energy and vibe of like, you know, you're wasting your time. You could have just done this the right way. There's means and avenues to clear music very easily for creators. And then say you are a monetized creator. You hope to build a business. You hope to one day monetize your videos. So in the beginning, you know, you have to go through certain steps, especially on YouTube, to earn partner status and to gain monetization for your videos. So say your first two videos, you're like, I don't need to, I mean, whatever, I don't care, I can't monetize anyways. As a creator, you should be setting yourself up for like a long-term business success. So like, say you all of a sudden are the hottest creator in the space, you used uncleared music in your first video because you didn't care at the time, then all of a sudden like that's your most viewed video and you can't, you, you still can't monetize it, right? You're at the mercy of the rights holder. So it's just in your best interest to always clear the music and then make sure you're covered and your time isn't wasted and you're not losing out on any money. I think I first learned about this in, I want to say like, like early YouTube days of like 2007 or 2008. And I remember it was, I, I had used a song in a video and then it got blocked everywhere except Germany mm -hmm. of all places. So Germany, super popular, was doing great. And then it like, it flip-flopped somehow. So it was everywhere except Germany. And I was like, huh, that's so weird that it, it like reversed that like that. But that was kind of like my introduction to clearing music as a thing even. Yeah. I, and so how did you get into this space? Did you, had you always been aware of this or did you kind of stumble upon it? Too? It's such an interesting, you know, I never thought I would be doing this, <laughs> but I started in college. I was interning for one of my favorite artists, Amy Cooney, who now goes by the moniker Ames. Um, I was a huge fan of hers. I reached out to her independent record label. I was like, I want to help support this artist. I want, I, get, I want to be involved. And they're like, great, this, come on board. <laughs> We're going to release an album. This was like 2008. And so I was just like fresh out of college, super hungry for it. And we realized the digital means of how to promote music. Like YouTube was starting to really be a platform. And we started working with influencers like uh, beauty icon Michelle Fawn, who needed music for her videos. And we're like, well, we have this great artist over here. And like, this is one of a few we can give you and then make it a win-win for both of you. Where, you know, this artist gets their song featured and promoted by to your large audience. And then she gets safe and cleared music for her videos. So we're like, great, let's test this out. Let's do this. Um, and really just started doing it in a manual capacity for a handful of music artists and video creators. Um, it was around 2011, we got our hands on one of YouTube's first music label um, content owners or CMS, where you can manage your music rights on YouTube. So it was just kind of, I threw myself in the space and really just started like clicking around, learning, like, how do we do this? How do we manage this? 
and just working with it for over the past decade of learning, you know, what does this mean? How does this impact a creator? How do we protect this for the music artist? And getting the, the bigger nuances of music rights, especially on YouTube and the intricacies of how it affects both the rights holder and the video creators. Has there been something in particular over those 10 years that has surprised you or, or been more of a challenge than you thought it would be? I think it's, always, you know, there's nothing that's uh, totally flabbergasted me, but it's usually <laughs> like, you know, I, I feel like I spend so much time on YouTube or I'm such a geek about it. We're all notice when they like change their font. I'm like, they, this is different. <laughs> and like nobody else in the world would notice that. I was like, they changed this word from this to that. And it's like the the littlest thing, but I'm so tuned in to like how it is because I check it constantly. I'm in the back end of YouTube and I'm just like, oh, and it's interesting to look, you know, back along the years of how the interface has changed in terms of even just on the user end of YouTube of like, oh my gosh, it used to be so like blocky and clunky and now it's all sleek or um, back when you could like feature videos or customize your YouTube channel, like a full MySpace takeover. I'm like, oh, this, you know. It's good retro vibes looking back, but it's uh, definitely been an evolution. Yeah, I've just been uh, helping a client port some videos over from Vimeo to YouTube. And I hadn't uploaded videos on YouTube in probably, I don't know, three or four years. And it, I was just like, oh, what, this is this is so extensive now. <laughs> like, there's, right? there's so much more that goes into even just uploading one video. Like, and right? then within your channel, there's a ton, too. So that's there's so many more options. Yeah, well, absolutely. Oh. It's bananas. Wild times. This this is a, a fun trivia. Do you know what the first YouTube video is? If you were a... Uh, Me at the zoo? Yes. Very good. Very good. If I didn't know that, I think I would get kicked out. They'd be like, you're done. Like, you can't touch this anymore. I was going to say, you're probably the most knowledgeable YouTube person uh, that I've interviewed. So I would hope that you get that one. You're like, you're out. It's done. Like, close the interview. It's over. <laughs> now, you talked a little bit about how creators from the get-go, need to be focusing on this so that it's not like a, a retroactive sort of like, oh, I, I screwed the pooch. Right. Never say that term. I don't know why that, that came out there. But uh, just so they, so they don't, you know, hurt themselves later down the line. Is there something from the artist's perspective that they might be overlooking around digital rights management or something that they should nail down early on? Totally. Yeah. So I think there is a huge education gap, uh, especially for music artists, who are distributing music and don't really have an understanding of how music rights work necessarily on platforms such as YouTube. So they, they've heard the term content ID before. They've heard the term copyright claims. Like there's connotations around what that means. It's scary. It's bad. You know, their perceptions of the industry about what it all means. But it's surprising how many independent music artists and even music managers don't understand the infrastructure of what's going on behind the scenes and how it can be helpful to help manage their rights in terms of getting their music out there, protecting their channel and like controlling just what's going on. Um, you know, music, independent music artists are primarily using uh, distribution platforms like DistroKid or TuneCore to get their music on platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it. And then as part of that, they're able to opt their music into content ID on YouTube. But then it's usually scary when three days later, their own music video gets a copyright claim and they're just like losing their mind being like, why? This, this, I don't understand. And I'm like, you have to put it on the allow list. There's an infrastructure. There's a way to approach this or what the royalties are like. They don't really have visibility into the back end of how it's managed. And I think there could be a lot more... Uh, more education resources of how 
this is explained to them and like how it's working in their favor or what it means to release a claim versus allow this to channel and you know what is the nuance between that what's the long-term consequence of that for the music artist or whoever they're giving permission to so we're you know hopefully at you know thematic we are we're talking with a lot of these artists we're talking with a lot of the managers to really give them a deeper understanding of what it means you know this is how you can better understand it and then giving them more power because then when they're making deals or signing label you know deals and Picking a distributor, they're able to find the one that best matches their long-term goals based on having a better understanding of like, oh, if I do this type of opt-in on this platform, this is what I can expect to happen. And they know how to ask the right questions if they need to get a claim release or if they need to opt something out of content ID. Can I ask what the difference is between sure. releasing a claim and content ID? So I'm going to break it down super simple. So on... YouTube, there are pieces of IP, so things that like a movie, a TV episode, a sound recording, which is a song, an audiovisual piece of content in the back end of YouTube that's referred to as an asset. So it's just a mechanism for digital IP. And then there's a user video, right? So if the user video contains that asset, so this user video of YouTube video contains this sound recording of a music artist. The association between the two YouTube creates, there is a claim that happens. So a claim goes on the user video, like, hey, Content ID found this song in this user video. It can receive a claim for the copyright copyright claim, right? So that's an actual claim on a video. So if you release the claim, you, you unlock the connection, and there's a history of it, and that claim should stay released until, some, if so, until further notice, until someone changes their mind and puts it back on, right? So the claim is released, but that kind of exists in perpetuity and the asset knows that it's, hey, this was untethered. But an allow list means as content ID is scanning, if I allow list this user's channel, so like allow list Michael, he can use this song in forever. You allow list the channel, content ID understands that the music is there, it just doesn't ever create the claim. So it kind of like skips over it. So that's fine and dandy if you can under you know hope to be in with your content ID admin in perpetuity, like, hey, I'm going to be with them forever, no problem. But if you end up switching your distributor or content ID admin, they also have to add it to the allow list because otherwise when YouTube goes and they're like, hey, we found this user video, Michael, he's going to receive a claim because an allow list doesn't transfer with the underlying asset. So it's more of like a... Don't look there while the, while the asset's in this content owner. We're not going to do anything with it versus like, hey, we find something, there's a match made, and then the connection is either tethered or untethered. I like that. Yeah. I was like, I'm surely I, I'm not the only one with a question here. So I'm, I'm glad you. I hope, you I hope it, it translates. Like yes. It's usually easy to like visualize it when you like see a picture or a diagram. So I'm hoping mm. I did it justice. <laughs> Maybe we can throw in a, a pie chart or something on the uh, on the show notes to to further drive it up. Now, I would think in a, in a perfect world, you'd have the rights holders on one end and the creators on the other end, and they're in perfect harmony. They're working together. It's beautiful all around. But I would also imagine in, in practice, that's not always the case. And sometimes you've got maybe a, a creator is upset that they can't use a certain thing or, or you know, an artist is like, hey, I, I don't want this being used, et cetera, et cetera. So 
at thematic, you're kind of balancing both of those sides. So have you found, like, is there a way to achieve, if not a perfect balance, like a pretty good harmony between the two? Or like, what, what do you have to consider to make both parties happy and, and enjoying themselves? Totally. Yeah, it's definitely a balance because you want to respect both parties. They're both creatives. They're both trying to accomplish. They're both trying to distribute their product, whether it be a video or a song, and they're trying to grow their audience. So at the end of the day, they are a similar person, but we you know, we look at them as uh, a contributor as well as a user of the platform. So a music artist and a video creator. So thankfully, we've been working with both parties on a very intimate basis for over a decade now. So like, as I mentioned, we started at an independent record label. We were working with uh, a handful of independent music artists, working with their digital rights and providing them digital strategy before thematic was an idea. And at the same time, my I, my expertise is also in optimizing and manage YouTube channels. So I know how that process works, the friction points for a content creator, and understanding the nuances really of both sides of managing the you know, expectations and what things make it easier and what things make it harder. So in addition to that, we started our platform trying to balance that in a very careful way. We want to be respectful of both sides. And we did a whole, you know, iteration of private beta testing with um, the Ipsy creator community. Um, our co-founder, Michelle Fawn, started the company Ipsy, and she was mentoring these group of creatives who were uh, starting to build their careers out in the beauty space. So we really worked with them hands-on and were like, you know, what's the magic wand? What can we do to make it easier? What are your problems when discovering music for your channel? Like, how, you know, what's the process like? What do you feel when you receive a copyright claim? Like, what does that mean to you? What is that, is that notice scary? And really understood from that perspective of like, okay, they waste a lot of time finding music. We can improve upon that. How can we best match their personal aesthetic to the right song without being like genre? Because what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and then understanding like they don't want to get claimed when they've done the right thing. So they have a license and all of a sudden they still get a copyright claim. It just feels bad. Like they're getting penalized. They don't want to get a copyright claim. And then we don't want to do allow listing because it's not a long-term solution. Like I mentioned, it's like if the music artist moves their song someplace else, the content creator becomes at risk. So understanding from the creator perspective, we needed to reduce claims and make it easier to find the right music and good music at that. So I was like, we got that part covered, no problem. And on the music artist side, it's about these artists who were really stuck at this point of, okay, I just put my song up on Spotify. I sent it to my fans. I sent it to my family. But like, how else can I get it out there? Like, I don't really have a budget to put on Facebook ads or I've tried some playlisting services or, I, you know, I'm going to go write down a hundred emails and do personal outreach. And it's just like this time consuming. There's no like formula or bl blueprint, right? It's just like, put it out there and see what happens. And they're really just like stuck. And they would do, you know, we talked with all these music artists who did literally go through hundreds of YouTube channels and write down all of the email addresses and do outreach and being like, hey, you can use my song in your video. You could do it. And then all of a sudden they, but they wouldn't know if the creator ever used it or if the creator uses it and they fail to give the promotion that they promised or, you know, the creator uses it and then they get a copyright claim because <laughs> the music artist doesn't manage the rights or it wasn't allow listed or like protected. So it's just like a bad friction experience. And we're like, okay, we got to fix that part of it too. So really understanding 
how each side can deliver the other side value in terms of like, hey, I want to make it safe and easy for me to find music from really cool artists for the content creators. And then for the music artists is how do I get my music into the hands of this influencer without, you know, paying their sponsored video rate of like, hey, it's a product. My song is a product and I want to get it promoted in your video. And I don't know how to manage that process or it's out of my budget. So we're like, great, let's bring these two people together in a way where we've built this rights engine that sits on top of content ID to, to automate it and really validate licenses on the fly. So then the video creators who have licenses, who did the right thing, they never see a copyright claim. And the music artists get their music into those videos. There's a guarantee of the promotion. It's required by the content creator. And then they get to monetize all the other non-licensed videos at the same time. So it's really integrated the process in a seamless way to bring them together where it's frictionless and it's just like everyone's lives get a little bit easier in terms of like, we just want to create and how do we get this stuff out there without it being a huge mess of a situation. I'm all for making lives lives easier. So uh, I'm glad to hear it. This might be a loaded question uh, because it's very, I would say, very broad. But I think the, the I hate saying it, the creator economy uh, that people love chatting about, you know, you see Web3 NFTs, like I'm seeing the Chainsmokers just released their new album as like an NFT that fans could get portion of royalties as well as like some other stuff going in and it's it seems like that might be slightly more commonplace um moving forward just from from what i've been seeing uh, as someone who is not like fully invested in the space like you are so again this is a, a broad umbrella of a question but what do you think content creation is going to look like in the future great question i do think there's a lot of hype right now and in the space and think people are figuring out well, okay, A, a lot of people are trying to figure out what is an NFT, right? There's a whole class of people who are just like, nope, this is too much for my brain to digest right now. I'll get to that when it's more widely accepted. I think there is value in that sort of space in terms of a new digital merchandising item that any type of creative or creator or individual who has something to offer can utilize. And it's almost like in certain aspects, you know, it could be some sort of fan club-ish type of uh, engagement where the people who are utilizing it get access to certain features from the distributor. So I think that space is being figured out and looking towards the future, I'm really hopeful of a lot more opportunities for collaboration between different types of creatives and really just like reaching across the aisle to this like, well, I'm a music artist or I, I'm this and putting themselves into one bucket. When you find that, you know, we're seeing video creators who are launching their first song and they're like, you know, I, I've always had this passion. I'm, I'm just going to try it, put it out there. Or maybe there's music artists who are also creating beautiful, um, you know, they have skills in Canva and they're able to design templates or graphic files that could be utilized on the other side and really seeing more of that exchange in a helpful manner and less of like, oh, we're trying to compete against each other, but really finding ways to collaborate for the value of all parties moving forward and just ways to make that easier between the parties of like, oh, it's tricky or it's hard and like removing all of those landmines of like, how do I, you know, integrate this piece without being this huge, difficult thing to accomplish, right? How do we, how do we make it a, a more fluid, creative marketplace between 
you know, especially as people have discovered the creator economy in the past couple of years, I'm like, I've been here for a minute before it was even acknowledged. I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. There's more people in the party now. Like, it's great. I think it's a great community and time for people to acknowledge the beauty of what's being created and like the businesses being started and how people are able to accomplish and monetize their passions. I love it. So more people in the space, more people to make this happen, to make more transparency, how people can get paid faster, how it's just, uh, again, how do we make it easier from the days when it was like, uh, how do I, you know, how do I record a video? And you're like the iPhone game, right? Like <laughs> how do we just make, keep making it easier for creatives? Again, all about, all about making things easier and yes to being paid at a reasonable time is a long time freelancer. Sometimes I'm just like, how, how do some of these places do business? Like they're, it's or even just a, like some transparency yeah. of like, hey, you know, it's going to be at this schedule or like, this is what it's for. And being able to allocate being like, hey, from this type of creative product, you know, the schedule is this. And then being able to really split those payments. Say if you have a collaborator, how do you make it easy so you're not like having to nickel and dime yourself on a spreadsheet and keep track of that? Being like, you know what? He's going to get paid or she's going to get paid at the same time. Like the platform will handle it. I don't have to worry about them stiffing me. Like it's all fluid. <laughs> so we always like getting a scoop on the show. Can, so can you give us any sneak peeks at something coming up? So we have some partnerships in the work that I can't quite yet disclose. <laughs> I really wish I could. Like, they're so close to it. But the idea is kind of in that same vein of how do we allow the creative process to happen between these type of creators um, beyond YouTube and beyond just music being exchanged uh, between these parties. So really looking at what's the next step and looking at multi-platform creators and like, you know, gone are the days when someone's just posting on TikTok or just posting on Instagram. But again, like, you know, people are creating podcasts, people are doing live events, people are doing live streams on different platforms. And there's always going to be a new TikTok, you know, as we continue to grow in this creator economy. So it's like, how do we solve for those other problems and really make it easy for creators to post up across the board and to collaborate across the board without having to like fact check or like figure out each platform's nuances of like can do this here but don't use that song over here or like don't export this song from this video platform to this one because you're going to get in big trouble so it's a hint at what's to come and <laughs> you know keep an eye we'll have some announcements in route shortly excellent we look forward to seeing all of those and you're almost off the hook here but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And this is your top three music artists that should be on people's radars. Yes. Okay. This is a fun because on thematic, I'm, we're constantly listening to the music artists on the site. And there's ones that it just are like, I gravitate to. I am, I listen to music across the board, but I would say with these three, I would think everyone could easily get on board. No problem. So the first is Ellie Moore. She is an amazing singer, songwriter, um, she does infectious pop melodies. So if you like a good pop song, like she should be on your playlist. Um, song that she put out recently that's been on my playlist is Romeo. And I think she just dropped a new one called Bathing Suit. So definitely check those two out. The second artist is this group called Hoax. And they're just like great summer vibes. Like you're having a beach bonfire. It's like got a little rock in there. It's got a little alternative in there. Um, 
they have an album coming up, and I think the songs you should check out are Soju and Golden Eyes. And then the third is kind of um, what we would almost define as the thematic signature sound. Um, we're known for having aesthetic music. And what that means, it's just like chill, vibey, just like feel good, can't really go wrong with it sort of music. And one of the artists um, that I would recommend is Public Library Commute. Um, just great. Their song, You've Been On My Mind, is currently trending on our platform. And I think it would be great on anybody's playlist. It's a great name, too. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll throw those in the show notes as well so people can check them out. And if people want to learn more and visit Thematic, learn more about what y'all are doing, where can they find you? Sure. You can find us at hellothematic.com, whether you're a video creator, music artist, or just want to check us out. Um, we're at Hello Thematic pretty much everywhere. Um, can't go wrong. Awesome. Well, Audrey, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, a great conversation. And I really enjoyed it. Likewise, likewise. I'm looking forward to checking out some new music after this, too. It'll be delightful. And of course, we've got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. This is a bit of a mouthful, so let's see. Let's see if we can do this. <laughs> Rick Astley, you know, famous Rick Astley. He has an extensive collection of Pixar movies on DVD. He'll let you borrow most of them, but he's never going to give you up. Mm. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.